0: Well, good morning, church. Good to be with you. Happy Memorial Day. Uh, th- this is a, a, a special holiday, and it's, it's a time that um, we remember uh, people who have given their lives for our freedoms and for this country, and uh, as, as a, a son of somebody who served in the military, and their dad served in the military, and many of our of my family have served uh, in the military, it's, it's a reminder for us as um if as followers of Jesus who emulate somebody who gave their life for us, that it is worth honoring people who have given their lives for us as well. Uh, and, and so for you, if you are, uh, if you are somebody who has uh, lost people in, in, through the military or through uh, their service to our country, this is a, a day that we want to honor that as we remember that this weekend. So uh, John gave me a lofty goal there of, of actually putting a bow on the book of Acts. I mean, we should just keep going for a few more months, maybe, right? So, I was joking with Macy yesterday that it, that it feels like we could preach Acts every year in some fashion, and there would still be more to talk about. It, it really is a book that just kind of uh, we 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 don't really move on from. We don't graduate from it uh, as followers of Jesus, and so. Uh, at Brandon did finish up the last chapter. So maybe you're thinking like, well, what else are we actually gonna say about the book of Acts? And, and, and I think the, the way that I was picturing it, even as we were singing this morning was, you know that feeling when you're in a theater, right? When you go to a movie. remember when we did that back in like 2019, uh, where you're sitting there and you can be watching a movie and you can become so engrossed in the story, but then the lights come back on. And then it's like, all right, well, back to real life. That's that's my fear is that as we finish up the book of Acts that we would feel like, all right, I sat through this incredible story and there's a lot of little tidbits that I could pick up here and there, but now the lights are gonna come back on and the doors are gonna open. And it's like, well, what were we supposed to have done with that story? What do we do with this story that has this ending where Paul is just sitting in a house and my, my hope uh, as I try to do my best to, to wrap up or summarize the book of Acts is to make the whole story connect with us today. My, my goal is to bridge the gap between the way that the book of Acts ends and the way that we, quote unquote, do church today. How does this ancient story, how does this, this, this story that happened in a, in a time that's way different than ours, in a context that's way different than ours, How does that inform, or how do we emulate that today, I guess? So to help us get there, I just kinda wanna tell you my goals on the front end. I wanna revisit several scriptures, and what I'm trying to do, I'm doing my best to try to make it memorable, because, I mean, this is one of the longest books in the Bible, and there's a lot of stuff, there's a lot of content, and inevitably there's gonna be stuff that we don't necessarily touch on, but my two main goals is I wanna focus on what it was that the earliest church did and then how does that help us do church today? How does that impact us today? So let me pray and we'll try to dive in. Lord Jesus, we love you. God, thank you for your word. Lord, we have confidence in your word this morning. We have confidence in the story that you've written. Lord God, I pray that you would connect that with our lives and our hearts today. God, I pray that the church would be built up this morning. I pray for uh, all the churches gathered in our town today and in our area, Father, that they would be blessed, that people who are followers of Jesus would be built up, Lord, that uh, as people perhaps enjoy vacation this weekend, they enjoy time of rest, God, that they would hear from you, uh, that they would be spiritually refreshed as well as uh, mentally and emotionally and physically refreshed, God, that they would hear from you, that uh, they would be encouraged as well. So God, we love you and we pray this morning that you would come and that you would move. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, so we've, we've covered a lot of content in the book of Acts, right? There's been a lot of stuff. We've seen lots of people get saved. We've seen signs and miracles and wonders. We've seen missionary journeys. We've seen a guy named Paul. We've seen a guy named Peter. We've seen a lot of different stuff. There's a lot of, uh, of stories that we could cover, but one way to to, I've done, the way that I've tried to make it memorable, the best that I could, was I want to think about all the things that the early church embraced. What are all the things that the early church embraced? I want to talk about five things that the early church embraced and then how that can help us as the church today. So first thing that they embraced, number one, they embraced the Son of God. They embraced the Son of God. Acts 1-3, literally, it says that as Luke is writing this letter, it's like, hey, Theophilus, Luke here, Uh, I wrote my first letter to do this and this, but in this one, I want to tell you about everything that continued after Jesus was crucified. And it shows that Jesus reappears to them. It says this, after his suffering, this is Acts 1-3, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. Literally, they embraced Jesus physically, like he was there. He had resurrected from the dead, and they stood in front of his disciples. Can you imagine how overwhelming that had to have felt? People that, it's just this emotional roller coaster with Jesus. If you're like Peter and John and, and all the earliest disciples, where they're following Jesus, and now this guy's crucified and he's buried, and it feels like all hope is lost. But Acts 1 tells us that in a overwhelming convincing way, Jesus reappears to them and is standing in front of them and he begins to tell them about the kingdom of God. So they embrace him literally, but they also became convinced of something. And it would be the one thing if I could sit down with every single person in this room one-on-one is that I would seek to convince you that Jesus is the son of God. They embraced Jesus as the Messiah. They made a, a, a heart decision to follow Jesus as the savior. There's no other remedy for sin apart from Jesus. And this is a reality that they embraced in embracing him as their, their, uh, as their rabbi, as their teacher, as the person that they sought to, to follow. They were embracing who he was and who he claimed to be. Through his resurrection, Jesus is validating everything that he said about himself. That's what the sign of the resurrection is, is that I am that Messiah of which you have long awaited. And I, I, I love, I love this, this scene, too, of, of not just the like the truth that we confess through the resurrection. Connect with this personally with Jesus. This, this person that you had put so much hope in with Peter and John uh, and James and all of these guys they are like, we, we put all of our hope in you. Peter even says one time, like, where else are we supposed to go? You have the words of eternal life. And then that person is crucified and he's buried and now he's standing in front of them again. And I love the way Luke highlights it in the book of Acts that through many convincing proofs, he convinced them that he was alive. That's insurance for us today. But not only, not only did they personally embrace Jesus, and I, and I love this, I notice that this personal embrace comes before this next part. The personal embrace of Jesus comes before the to-do list begins. This personal embrace of Jesus, because right after that, Acts 1.8 says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That verse is a major theme that runs throughout the book of Acts. As things begin to unfold and as the gospel begins to go forward, we can get a little too fixated on the to-do list and not come to grips with, first Jesus appeared to them and he embraced them. And not just like, hey, buddy, how you doing? But like he embraced him. He convinced him like, come, touch the wounds in my side, touch the scars in my hands. Like I, I, I have risen for you. That's the same message that Jesus gives to each of us is that to embrace me is to embrace me personally, but also this other part of this Acts 1.8 that it reveals to us that we have a mission to participate in. He gave them final marching orders with a caveat, wait for the Holy Spirit. And that's what we need to make sure that we really, really embrace today. This is what we really need to make sure that as we're embracing Jesus as the Son of God, we've got to remember this. To embrace the Son of God is to embrace the life of God. To embrace the Son of God is to embrace the life of God. Before the disciples see Jesus, like, really see Jesus, they are completely lost. It says that they were scattered because of this, that Peter even denied Jesus. When, When things are going south, it gets rough. It gets ugly for the disciples. The savior that they trusted is no longer there, but then Jesus returns and he shows himself to them. And Acts tells us it was it was convincing and that his command was wait for the Holy Spirit. John 16 tells us that Jesus says, it's better that I should go so that I could send the Holy Spirit, so that I could send a helper. And that's a strange tension for us, isn't it? That the spirit that we don't see is better for us to live for Christ than the Jesus who could walk into the room. That's a tension that we, as we embrace Jesus, that's a reality that we are also embracing. But I love this in 2 Corinthians 4, this is Paul writing later. So Paul experiences all of this in the book of Acts. And then he's writing back to a church in Corinth, in a letter called 2 Corinthians in chapter four, what he, is, what he tells them is that even though our outer person, what we can see is being destroyed or is wasting away, our inner person is being renewed day by day. Therefore, don't focus on what is seen, focus on what is unseen, why? Because what is seen right now is temporary. The book of Acts shows us just how temporary uh, our lives can be. And what Paul reflecting on that looks back and says, don't focus on what is seen, focus on what is unseen. And this is what I love right here. Right now, for you and I, very practically, Jesus is unseen, right? The, the, The Jesus, the bodily resurrection of Jesus, that guy ascended into heaven and he is seated at the right hand of the Father but we have the Spirit living in us, what we focus on is what is unseen. Your your spiritual devotion is unseen. Your prayer life is unseen. Your sacrifices that you make for the name of Jesus is unseen. And what Paul says is to focus on these things because they are eternal. We have careers that weigh us down. We have ambitions that weigh us down. We have Pains in life that hinder us and that hold us back. And Jesus is saying those things are but a mist and a vapor. Focus on things that are eternal. Through Jesus, we can embrace the life of God. Just like the earliest disciples, as they embraced him physically, as they embraced everything that was true about Jesus. Because of Jesus today, we can also embrace the life of God, and we can afford to let go of our way of living life, and we can embrace life God's way. I could spend the rest of the sermon just talking about that one part, but that's a part that we've got to be really clear on, is that embracing Jesus is embracing the life of God. There's no separating those things. If, if we're not embracing the life of God as we embrace Jesus, then stories like Paul's shipwreck, or Peter being arrested, or John being beheaded, or Stephen being stoned, or Barnabas selling property. We can't connect with those things because those things require a sacrifice of this life that we are not willing to enter into if we're not embracing the life of God. You may say, I don't wanna go through all of those things though. And I would say you would if you knew what treasure was on the other end of the journey. And that's what part, of, part of what the book of Acts reminds us of. So in Acts, the first thing that we see, this is just chapter one, still got a long way to go. The first thing that we see is the disciples embracing Jesus as the son of God. Next we see uh, the disciples embracing God's people. We see the disciples embracing God's people. And I love this part. We're gonna focus on just a few things in this. Christians throughout church history have gathered for prayer and worship regardless of circumstances regardless of circumstances. Acts two through eight, you could summarize as this time of peace in the early church, this time of, they're going and coming, they're doing the operations of the church, they're telling people about Jesus, they're gathering for worship, they're taking up an offering to give to the poor, to, to give sacrificially. But then Acts eight one happens. We had this time of peace and the church is gathering during a time of peace in Acts 8.1. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Persecution causes them to spread, to scatter. They had to get out of just one geographical location and they began to spread. And yet once scattered and once relocated, Christians began finding one another and they begin gathering and they begin worshiping again, wherever they were scattered to. We see this with Paul, he would land at a new place in a new town and he would go and find, start in the temple and say, hey, where are the Christians at? And they would start gathering, they start talking about the word. But in Acts 13, we see this uh, really clearly. As the gospel is scattered, more and more non-Jewish people are embracing Jesus. And as the gospel is being scattered, that's resulting in more and more people gathering. There's this interesting, right there in the middle of the book of Acts, a gathering and scattering rhythm that begins to take place. And what I would encourage us with, from a a reading standpoint, that's dating back to the promise of Acts 1-8, right? You will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And this persecution is forcing believers to scatter. And now in Acts 13, we begin to see not just persecution, but strategy helping the gospel jump further and further and further. Acts 13, one through three. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Here we see the church in Antioch, they're they're just gathered for worship, right? We see that they are embracing the people of God. They're gathered together. And it says that the Holy Spirit moves not just through the one pastor, but through the whole church. And the church feels this sense that the Spirit is saying, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. I've got a special work for them to do. And that's just a reminder, there's a ton in there. We've talked about Acts 13 before, but it's a reminder that even even facing persecution, even facing a force that made people move from one city to way across a, a large area to another place, that they began to gather again. Christians have always gathered together with other believers, regardless of circumstances, Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 reminds us of this. It it exhorts Christians to not grow weary or willfully neglect the gathering with other Christians because it does such obvious spiritual good for us. And this is what's interesting is the context for that, the writer of Hebrews later in 1032, it reminds us that the reason this church had grown weary in the first place was because of persecution and suffering. It says some of you were beaten because of your faith. Some of you had land taken because of your faith. Some of you have faced all kinds of stuff because of your faith. But brothers and sisters, don't grow weary in gathering. Part of embracing Jesus is embracing the people of God. Number three, so we embrace the person, of, or we embrace Jesus as the son of God, we embrace God's people, but we also see through the, the book of Acts, and this is an interesting one, we embrace God's methods. We embrace Jesus as the son of God, we embrace God's people, but we also embrace God's methods. What do I mean by that? We mentioned it at the beginning that embracing Jesus is to embrace the life of God, but part of what that means is embracing Jesus's methods over our own methods. The earliest disciples had to be grown uh, into the methods of Jesus over what came natural to them. There's a few interesting scenes that I, I wanna look at. Acts 28 is a perfect one, but let's look at Acts 2, 10, and 15. Acts 2, Peter had to be grown into the message of salvation. I want you to put yourself in Peter's shoes here, right? This is that scene where uh, Pentecost has happened, the Holy Spirit's come on the disciples uh, and now they're beginning to proclaim the gospel. And the text says in so many different languages that everybody present could understand what they were saying. And the crowd looks at this and they say, these dudes are hammered. These dudes are drunk. These dudes are out of their mind. And Peter has to grow into the method of, I'm not gonna shy away from the tension. I'm gonna run straight into it with a full gospel presentation. And Peter runs into it and he he lays out the whole gospel in front of this crowd that thinks they are a joke. And it says the crowd thought that that it says that the result of that, go back and look at it, is that many were added to their number. This is a common phrase that you'll see a lot used in the book of Acts is that the gospel was proclaimed, Many were added to their number, some didn't believe. It's like a, a rhythm that you can see in the text as the gospel goes forward. Luke uses it as a summary, sorry, total nerd point. Acts chapter 10. So Acts chapter two, we see that many were added to their number, but that was because Peter began to embrace the methods of God. Acts chapter 10, Peter had to be grown into seeing people the way God sees people. Acts 10 is this scene where Peter is, is, he says he's up on a rooftop in a time of prayer. And as he's in this time of prayer, he gets this vision and the blanket comes down uh, and God's in the vision. God says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter says, no, no way, no way, no way. I'm not going to eat anything that's unclean. I've never done that, God. And it says that God says, don't call unclean what I have called clean. Peter had to be grown into seeing people the way God sees people. In Acts 1, the disciples were promised to be a witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Acts 10 is knocking down these previous racial goggles that the early disciples had regarding the Gentiles. And this is what I love about this. Before they could love them with the gospel, they had to stop assessing the world through Jewish lenses and put on Jesus lenses. That's a basic part of the book of Acts that we're reminded of is that God's methods are different than ours. God's way of seeing people is different than the way we see people. And if we are going to, to participate in this mission of God, then we've got to see people the way that God sees people. Acts 15 is another reminder of that. The church had to stop measuring devotion to God through bodily measures and start measuring it according to the Holy Spirit. Acts 15 is this scene of the Jerusalem council where uh, Jerusalem is hearing reports, more and more Gentiles are coming to faith, more and more non-Jewish people are coming to faith. And what that mean, means is that more and more non-circumcised people are coming to faith. Previously for Jewish people, you, to be a person of God was to be born Jewish, to be raised Jewish, to have this anticipation for the Messiah and to be circumcised. And that made you a person of God. And the earliest church had to be grown out of that method, out of that way of assessing who is and who is not part of the family of God. Jesus turns that measuring system of holiness and being a part of God's story on its head. Salvation belongs to anyone who now believes in Jesus. And the sign of that salvation was the Holy Spirit coming full circle here The Holy Spirit empowering that person now who has placed their faith in Jesus, who has embraced the person of Jesus to now live out the life of Jesus. We can't measure people according to the way that we're used to measuring people. We have to measure people according to God's methods. And the early church exemplifies that for us. Here's another one that I think is really important for us today. So we've embraced Jesus as the son of God. We've embraced the people of God. We embrace God's methods, but then the earliest church had to embrace God's limits. Had to embrace God's limits. This This is a hard one for us, right? We're a no limit society, right? Run the credit card up, right? Go get the next degree, go get the next job, go get the next promotion, go get the next car, go get the trophy spouse. We are a no limit society. No boundaries on anything. Just run it up but the earliest church had limits. Christians have always had boundaries that we've had to stay between. Acts one, first boundary, right? Wait for the Holy Spirit. Jesus, what are you talking about? You're, you're raised from the dead. You're the Messiah. We're convinced of this now more than ever. Let's go. Wait for the Holy Spirit. It's better that you would watch me. Imagine the pain of that. I'm, I'm realizing, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. Even just now, think about Jesus, I already had to watch you be laid into a tomb and now you're back and you're telling me that you've got to go again? Imagine the pain of that or the the feeling of loss that you would feel as a disciple, that you've got to go again? And Jesus says, yes, I need you to wait for the Holy Spirit. What a lesson for us today, creating margin in your life out of, a, out of a desire to actually hear from the Holy Spirit might be the most powerful thing you could do in your life this week. Making an intentional decision that I cannot live life any longer apart from the Holy Spirit. I've got to create margin to hear from Him. The other day, we had a global missions interest meeting and I, I, love, I love this. Global missions people are my people. I love it, I love it. And we're sitting there and they were like, let's go, put a date on the calendar. Let's get this thing going. Like, don't, don't, we're tired of twiddling my thumbs. Let's go. It's like, yeah, but we don't know any of Like, we don't even know each other. We were just gonna get on a plane and go to like, what, the Middle East or something? Like, what are we talking about here? But that, uh, there was so much zeal in the room. And I love that. It's like, no, we're not waiting any longer. Let's go. But a team needs more than just zeal to carry out its mission, right? Especially a Christian thing, we need the Holy Spirit. That's a natural, gracious, loving limit that God puts on our lives as the church is for us to wait for the Holy Spirit. Other limits God put on the church is this phrase that you see in a a lot of passages says some believed and some didn't, right? Acts 17, 32 through 34 says this, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. In fact, we have their names. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. In other words, what this tells us is that you're not gonna win them all. You're you're not gonna argue more and more people into the kingdom of God. There are limits to your power to affect people spiritually. So wait on the Holy Spirit. Pray, intercede on people's behalves and don't get defeated when you don't win every conversation. Other natural limits are times where the church just spent long seasons in prayer and rest. This is probably the most boring part, right? She's like, oh God, I don't wanna embrace any limits. I don't don't wanna have to think about prayer and rest, but the early church did. That includes time. So, so if that's us, if it's just a go, 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 go type of a spiritual life, what do we think about Peter and Paul when they spend long stints in prison? Are they wasting time for the gospel because of the circumstances that they find themselves in? No, they are, they are embracing the limits that the, that the God of the universe has put on their lives lives. Galatians 1 tells us that that Paul went away for three years after being converted and then another time for 14 years to prepare himself for the work that God was calling him to. God has always put natural limits on the church and those limits protect us. And this is what I think. This is practically speaking. This is why I think God gives us limits. One, God gives us limits because it protects us from taking the credit. It protects us from taking the credit in when we are living for him. Number two, I think it protects us from neglecting our relationship with him in the first place. If we'll embrace these limits, it protects us from neglecting our relationship with God. Number three, it protects us from trying to do more than what he has called us to. I had a buddy that uh, that said, I'm just afraid of becoming a Christian because I think if I become a Christian, I'm gonna have to become a preacher. And I just can't do that. I just can't do that. And it it sounds kind of silly, but I think for a lot of us in our spiritual journey, we feel like, well, if I get equipped, I'm gonna have to do everything. If I get connected to the life of the church, man, I'm gonna have to serve in every place. Man, if I I do a little bit of prayer, I'm gonna have to pray all the time or I could never pray like that. I can never do this. I can never serve like that. So why even try? But God gives us limits. He didn't give you all the gifts. He gave you a few gifts. He didn't call you to do all the work of ministry. He called you to do what he's called you to do. And God gives us those limits because they're gracious and loving limits. Lastly, we see that the disciples embraced God's simple mission. We see that the last thing they embrace, and we see this in Acts 28 most clearly. We see it throughout, but we see it most clearly there. We see this throughout the book that they embraced the life of Jesus. They embraced the life of God. They embraced uh, God's methods. We see them embrace um, uh, God's limitations, but we also see them embrace God's mission. He closes it out this way, this is Acts 23. Eight twenty-three through 24. After arranging a day with him, many came to him at his lodging. From dawn to dusk, he expounded and witnessed about the kingdom of God. He persuaded them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. Some were persuaded by what he said, but others did not believe. So simple. Verse 30. Then he stayed two whole years in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with full boldness and without hindrance. As Luke ends the book of Acts, Paul's just doing a few simple things. He's welcoming people into his home. He's telling them about the kingdom of God. He's being bold in his witness, and he's leaving the fruit up to God. Some believed and some didn't. Friends, if we Embrace that life. And I I believe that Luke ends this book that way on purpose. If we can embrace a life like that, that, that is a beautiful way to make a huge difference in the world through those few simple things. It's not complicated, it's simple. All it requires is for us to embrace Jesus as the Son of God to embrace God's people, to embrace God's methods, to embrace God's gracious limits on our lives and embrace God's simple mission. And we can live a life like Paul. And maybe you think, maybe you, you hear that and you're like, God, that sounds an awful lot like a cliffhanger, right? You know, like a, we're using the movie illustration that we talked about earlier, right? Like that just sounds like the movie just kind of ends. It sounds like the story just kind of ends, right? We spent all this time in this book of Acts and then he polished this in a house. It'd be like if the Lion King, imagine like, you know, the stories that we've all seen, like the Lion King. Uh, if you could imagine like, so Simba is like ran away, right? And then Nala comes to get him. Imagine if the movie just ended with like, Nah, Nala, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not going back to the pride lands. I'm going to stay right here. I'm good. And Nala, you cute and all, but I'm going to stay here. I'm not, I can't do it. I'm not going back. I'm not going back to the pride lands. I'm not going to play the hero. Roll the credits. It's like, what a cliffhanger. What we, you, we would never remember a story like that because it's not the ending that we anticipated, Right. But that's not how the story ends. A a movie with an ending like that just wouldn't be memorable. But here's what I fear is that we read the book of Acts. and I'm afraid that we assume the book of Acts ends in this anticlimactic way and that we leave disappointed. And and what I would share with you is that others have been tempted in that same way to read the ending of the book of Acts and think, oh, wait, hold on. That ain't it. One commentator says this, if I were to purchase a novel and finding after reading to the end of it, that I am not told what happens to the hero, I'm going to complain to the publisher. Think about that. If I I read the story and it's not the ending that I anticipated, I'm gonna complain to the publisher. We have followed the apostle Paul through the known world of his day. We finally see him in Rome, but there is no word of his trial. In other words, what the heck, Luke? Like, where's the, where's the trial scene? Where's the law and order stuff? Like, where's, where's all the stuff that I was waiting for? Is Paul the main hero of the book of Acts? That's the question I would wanna ask this guy. Another commentator puts it in a way that I think is more accurate for us in a way that we should think about the ending of the book of Acts. He says, Luke did not write his book simply to record ancient history. He wrote to encourage the church in every age to be faithful to the Lord and carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. What was begun with so much heroism ought to be continued with ardent zeal since we are assured that the same Lord is mighty still to carry on his heavenly designs. Why? Because of Jesus' promise, lo, I am with you always. That's, the, that's how the book of Acts ends. It ends with the Holy Spirit still present in the church, still pushing the mission forward, still proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And this is what I would encourage you and I with today. The better ending that God intends to write through Acts is through us. The better ending that God intends to write of the book of Acts is through us because the mission was supposed to continue to go forward as we embrace all of these things that the early church embraced, in a sense, you and I are Acts 29 and Acts 30 and Acts 31 and Acts 32. As we embrace these things and we continue these values and mission of Jesus today. But real practically, kind of in the time that we have left, I want to I try to get as practical as I can. How do we do that though? Because we've seen like people get shipwrecked and Uh, Paul gets bitten by a snake. Hopefully that's a one of one. Uh, there's all these things that can be like, so, so dangerous. It seems like from the book of Acts, or it seems like, is this mean that I have to like pick up my life and just move wherever? And the, the, the illustration that comes to mind for me is, is when I think of like, why can, how can we have confidence? That's the question, right? How can I have confidence that this story from so long ago is still true for me today? Do you remember the time, at, you know, do you, for most of us, if, if you've, well, what I'm trying to not leave out is teenagers. So if you've not bought a house or signed a lease, sorry, this illustration is not for you, but I made a promise to myself, no sports analogies this time, so I'm doing my best. Uh, so you remember that feeling when you, the, you signed a lease or you, uh, you, 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 you signed a mortgage to buy a house Right, You remember that feeling of like, you're scrolling through Zillow and you're like, oh, that could be the one, no, maybe not, not. And you just are scrolling and you're looking and you you get this excitement of like, oh, that's the one, that's the one. And then you get nervous, like, oh, am I gonna be able to get it? Is somebody gonna get it before me? And then your real estate agent is like, yeah, totally, we can put an offer in. And then you get nervous again, like, oh my gosh, I'm not pre approved. I gotta go get my credit right. Is my credit score gonna be bad? And then it's this roller coaster of like, I'm excited, then I'm anxious. I'm excited, then I'm anxious. Uh, and you remember that feeling of like, all right, we've put the offer in. Oh my gosh, they've accepted the offer. What a great, I can't wait. I can't wait. I can see us in this house already. Oh no, now we gotta go through inspection. Oh no, and I just gotta pass appraisal. Uh, Oh no, It's like if it's a lease, oh no, is somebody gonna like beat my offer? Am I gonna be able to get everything fixed in time? And it's this roller coaster of excitement and anxious and excitement and anxious. And then I don't know if you're like me, it's like, okay, we, we now we're on closing day and I've got my check, I've got my my like the the down payment ready, you've got your deposit ready, and then you know that like one one or two month thing, it's probably more of a personal thing, but that one or two month thing where you don't have to make your first like monthly payment and now. You're in the house, but then that one or two months goes by and now I've got to actually make the payment and you're like, oh no, am I gonna have the right amount of money in my bank account? Did I screw something up here? Am I messing this up like? that feeling of excitement and anxious and excitement and anxious. Acts 28, or sorry, the book of Acts to me when I read it, it's, it's this reminder of years and years and years of proven payments on the house that Jesus secured for us through his blood. Jesus is this down payment that we don't have to be nervous about. And he gets us in the house. And then the book of Acts, the story of Christians living in that down payment for years and years and years. It is a, it is a lesson to us. It is a story for us that the, the, the house that Jesus brings us into through his blood, he can secure us in. And the book of Acts is years of receipts that what he began, he is faithful to fulfill. In a lot of ways, Acts 28 is this circling back to the promise that began in Acts one, that see, I told you I'd do it. It's Jesus saying, see, I told you that I would build my church and that the gospel would go forward. We can move forward today with full confidence in his calling to pursue his mission because he has proven that the tasks are doable, that the journey is worth it, and that the methods are fully tested. That's the story of the book of Acts. We can embrace the better ending that God calls or that God plans to write by embracing the processes and strategies of the local church that we are part of. Acts is this testimony that what Jesus began in Acts 1, he will see through to the end and that he's gonna see, through, see to it through us. And that in addition to that, we can confidently participate in a local church. We can embrace the better ending that God plans to write by embracing the processes and strategies of the local church we are part of. And I, I look at, I'm gonna look at what this looks like a little bit um, very practically here for us. My goal is that I want you to know that we have a process and strategy as a church. What I want you to understand is that we, we have done our best as a, as a leadership team to try to put together a church that is reflective of the book of Acts. So I wanna, I wanna, look, at, I wanna look at what our mission statement is. We, we exist to connect, equip and send God's people, I wanna look at that first graphic, Ryan, if you can, of, of, of um, the gap, there it is. So what do we mean when we say connect? Our heart is to help people who are disconnected, either from a local church or disconnected from community or disconnected from Jesus. We wanna help move you to heart and soul. And heart and soul is not just a class that you take, but it's, it's, how you, uh, it's, it's who you are within the life of our church is people who are committed to growing in knowing God, growing in the fullness of Christ, growing as a part of the people of God uh, and growing as a part of the mission of God. And we we wanna help people connect in that way. It's a big, uh, we see that as a big part of the book of Acts that the, the disciples are going, they're spreading the gospel and more and more people are gathering and getting connected to the life of the local church. Very practically, here's what that looks like today. Let's look at that connect the, with the list under it, Ryan, if you don't mind. How do we do that at Connection Church? That's where uh, the welcome class comes in. That's where heart and soul comes in. That's where volunteer teams, that's where connect groups come in. And, and, I, and I've tried to think of a way to explain the welcome class, and, I, and John shared this in, uh, in the uh, announcements. The welcome class is like inviting somebody into your home. It's like inviting somebody into your living room. Like this. It's like inviting somebody in and and you're able to say, hey, come on in, come on in. You know that time, the first time you kind of meet somebody and you have like a new friend over to your house, you really don't make it past the living room, right? Like, yeah, we've got like a closet full of stuff in the back, you're not gonna see that this time. The welcome class is like, hey, come in, have a seat. Hey, hey, let me get you a cup of coffee. Hey, come sit in my living room with me. Let's talk, let's get to know one another. The welcome class is us saying, you have a place here. We have room in our life for you. And, and maybe this, as we've rolled this out, maybe you felt as somebody that's like, well, I've been here for three, four years. This is what I would encourage you with. Are you so familiar with the living room of your local church that you could invite other people into it? In other words, does this feel, does our church feel like your living room? Do you, do you know who we are as a church so deeply that when you meet a, a guest in our church that you can welcome them in confidently and say, this is my church. This is my house. Come, come in, let's get to know one another. Let's, let's grab some coffee. Another way that we connect is through heart and soul. So heart and soul is us moving a little bit past the living room and we move kind of into the rest of the house. Heart and soul is like us saying, ah, you know, the master bedroom is down here on the right. Like don't open that closet. It's going to be a mess. Don't look under the bed. We've kind of stuffed some stuff away. Uh, But this is the rest of our house. And it's really kind of a question of like, are you okay with us? Are you, are you okay with who we are? The welcome class is like, hey, here's who we are. But then heart and soul, is like showing you the rest of the house. And it's more like, can you be part of us? Can you, accept, can you accept the mission that we are a part of? And heart and soul in a lot of ways is to help us get connected as a local church to say, not only can you sit in my living room, but can you be a part of my family? Other ways that we connect as a church is through volunteer teams. Many, many of our people live out their gifting and they help other people get connected as well as they exist in community by volunteering. Be that through guest services or through Connection Kids, through, uh, through uh, serving with students on Sundays, through serving with college on Wednesdays. Those aren't just like, hey, come and meet our needs as a church and then turn around and go back to your house. It's coming in and, ma- and having ownership of the house. It's coming in and being a part of this community that's inviting other people into community. We are connecting people. Other ways that we connect is through connect groups, but let's talk about equipping a little bit. We connect, equip, and send God's people to do God's work in the world, that's our mission. So, what does it look like to equip? For equipping, we want to move people simply—not simply just at heart and soul—but we want to we want to help them. Uh, crap! What does my graphic say, Ron? There it is. We want to help people not just grow themselves in knowing God. We want to we want them to know uh, to help them. We want to prepare people to help grow others. We wanna help make you a disciple maker. A few ways that we do that, the Connection Equipping Academy. I've been so excited and encouraged by the Connection Equipping Academy. We've had 30 people sign up and begin coming to the Connection Equipping Academy this summer. People are in there, Memorial Day weekend, getting after it, getting equipped, owning their faith. I love that. And one of the ways that we've been thinking about another way, just continuing with the house analogy, one way that we think about uh, equipping, it's like a kitchen. It's like a kitchen. It's like a place where it's like, hey, come in. Hey, you're gonna be over here. Will you chop up these vegetables? Hey, we're gonna patty out some hamburger meat. Can you get that marinated over here? Hey, we need to get some fries going. Can you get the fryer going over here? And it's, it's not just a like, it's not just a come and see type place. It's come and jump in come and be a part, come and be equipped. I don't know about for you, but for me, when I learned how to make a steak, first I watched, but then I had to jump in and I had to start doing some of that. And then before long, I had enough confidence with it that I could do it on my own. Or, you know, it starts off with like watching a YouTube video, right? But then at some point you've got to get in the kitchen and you've got to start mixing up the ingredients and you've got to start taking ownership of that yourself and the Connection Equipping Academy, as well as Close the Gap are two of those kitchen type environments. One of the ways that I've described it, it's like a chemistry lab. It's not a chemistry class, it's a chemistry lab where you're not just coming in and taking notes, you're coming and you're like trying the formula yourself. I've, I made a C in chemistry, so I, that's about as much chemistry as I got right there. But that's, it's like a chemistry lab where you're actually coming and doing the things of the faith. Connect groups serve in a lot of the same way connect group, the, the big slogan for that is we're not meant to do life alone. And we come into connect groups and we experience that. We experience community. And that, that rubs off some of our rough edges. Some of that we, we have to learn to live with new relationships and new people, but it's, it's a preparing. It's an equipping. It's preparing us to be able to help other people grow in their faith. Volunteer teams serve in a lot of the same way. It would be that with kids, with students. Just in my short time of working with our students, I had to learn, like I've got to relate to students a lot differently than I relate to our connect group leaders. I've got to lead this area a lot different and just existing in that community forced me to grow. That's part of the beauty of equipping. But then also we want to not only connect, equip, but we also wanna send God's people to do God's work in the world. We want to put a big vision out there for sending. We, we love Shane, who serves as a, a missionary in North Africa. We have loved the opportunity to celebrate him, to pray for him, to talk about him, because it casts a vision for us is that the gospel was meant to go forward. The gospel was meant to not just say where we are, but it's meant to go. And we want to do more and more of that. That's part of why we're Uh, put together that meeting for the global missions teams that we could have an interest meeting to see where is everybody at with global missions and how can we partner together to see that go forward. Same thing with the connection network. That's another way that we partner with all of Vidalia and Dublin and Millen and Athens and Savannah is we want to know what is is the gospel doing at other places and, and how can we stay and how can we encourage one another? How can we build one another up? How can we pull resources together so that we can plant more churches? That's not just a goal for us, that's a strategy. That's a process that we have as a local church. Then also we, we, we wanna have internships and things like that for people that want to get into ministry, that, that feel like God is calling them into full-time ministry We wanna wanna have internships and ways that we can uh, facilitate that, that we can help with that. We want that to not just be an aspiration, but we wanna have a strategy for that. So in closing, if you are looking for a practical one thing to take away from this as far as an action step, this is what I would encourage. Take ownership of the process of being connected, equipped, and sent. Take ownership of the process of being connected, equipped and sent. You don't have to do that on your own. Just start with the processes that we have in place as a local church. If you've not been to Heart and Soul, start with Heart and Soul. If, you, if it's been a while since you've been to Heart and Soul and it's just like, man, I can't, I, I just need to experience that again to keep that white hot in my mind. Come to Heart and Soul again, we'd love to have you. If you've not been in a connect group in a long time, jump back into a connect group. We, we are meant to exist in community alongside one another. And we want to, to welcome you into that. We want to facilitate that. The, and my challenge, and this is the thing too, is we trust that the Holy Spirit will help lead you into those different steps and helping you know the different places that you, where you fit in the life of, our, of the church And my challenge to you with this is, is don't let the fear of not knowing where you fit, keep you where you are. Don't let the fear of of not knowing where to get started. We trust the Holy Spirit to guide you into whatever your next step needs to be. We wanna be, we wanna embrace the Son of God. We want to embrace the people of God. We want to embrace the methods of God. We wanna embrace God's gracious limits on our lives and we wanna embrace God's simple mission for us. And the way that we exemplify that as a church, exemplify is not the right word, but the way that we embody that as a church is that we exist to connect, equip and send God's people to do God's work in the world. My encouragement to you is take ownership of that connecting, equipping and sending in your life today. Let me pray. Lord God, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of uh, the disciples of the early church. God, I just think about all the unnamed thousands in the book of Acts that faithfully served that are sitting in your presence worshiping you and you look at them and you tell them, well done, good and faithful servant. God, we all wanna hear that. I wanna hear that, God. I want to serve as a part of your simple mission in whatever way that you would have us to do. God, I pray that for our church, that we would be able to embrace the things that you have embraced and that you've shown us in the book of Acts. I pray this in Christ's name, amen.